Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. Today, along with my co-hosts, Vinny Laspinuso and Dave DePalio, we are going to discuss the Pro Football Hall of Fame. The time that I went was just to go to see the Hall of Fame. There was nothing going on there. And I had some other guys that played football with me who they said, you got to go to the Hall of Fame. So we drove out, and it's 12 hours about from where I live. And so we would leave about – we would do the same thing every time we would go out. We would leave about 10, 11 o'clock at night. We would get there about 10 in the morning, 9, 10 in the morning, Then we would sleep for a few hours, and then we would get up. And the thing, Vinny and, and, and Mark and everyone, the Hall of – the Hooperstown – I mean, uh, Canton is small. And so when I first started going, there was only so many places you could go where they were having these Hall of Fame parties, so to speak, where they would have like the play. And you could, so it was easy access. You could get to anybody. And I'll show you. I have some of the pictures, but you could get to any guy you wanted to get to. I mean, it wasn't even a problem. I mean, we were meeting all these guys. It was phenomenal. And there was one place called the Park Hotel. That's where everything was going on. So it was very simple. Hey, let's go over there and we'll get these guys as they're arriving or when they're leaving and everything else. But the Hall of Fame itself, Vinny, I think if you go, if he can get you those passes, you go during the ceremony, it's gotten to be very, very big. I mean, that's there was a stadium on the side, it was called Fawcett Field. It was nothing. It maybe held it maybe held eight thousand people if that at the time. I don't think it but if that. Now it's now they have the ceremonies in there, you know, and it's 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 good. It's good to go see it. It's packed with people now, but you know what? If you haven't been there, you'll get a big you'll get a big thrill out of it. Really, back then the step ceremonies were right on the front steps, and so I had a nice yes. I had a lot of good camera equipment at the time. I had a ton of Nikon equipment, and I would bring one little monopod, so I wouldn't be in anybody's way. And I would just set it up in front of me, and I would get, and I got some great shots. And then they moved it to the stadium, and it got a little less. Uh, I don't know what the word is. It changed. It, wasn't it changed a lot. Once yes, they moved it, was, it to it the. Lost a charm. Put yeah. it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It lost. It lost its. How do I say? Um. It, it lost its uh, secreteness. I guess you can say. Like. Absolutely. It was when it was on the front steps. Um. They would put this massive tarp up because I think it's 77 runs right past. I forgot. There's a pretty major highway that runs right across the wall. And they would put it up to block a lot of the noise from the trucks. <laughs> and But you would hear truckers with the horn going by. And the ceremonies were going on right on the front steps. And if they ran really long, in fact, it happened, Mark, when Randy White got in. He's talking and all of a sudden you hear the announcer. Right. Well, the Hall of Fame game, he's, he's introducing players 
that were just over standing on the front steps, and now they're walking into the stadium because the festivities are starting. So while one guy's trying to give his speech, there's the announcer from the stadium, and you can hear him in the I have a lot of videotape yeah. from those Hall of Fame things. That, that, sounds, that sounds awesome. <laughs> it's absolutely insane. But this would never happen today. Oh, you know, no. Here's a guy who's going into a Hall of Fame, and some guy is speaking over him. But that's what today's kind of climate, gave it a Today's climate, yeah, that would sure. never happen. When oh. when uh, Dan Deardorff was inducted, he was talking about Dick Buckus, the first time he had to go up against Dick Buckus. And just as he was talking about Dick Buckus, one of those big trucks went by and blew their horn. <laughs> and he said that's exactly how it sounded when Dick Buckus was coming. <laughs> that's what I, the sound was when Dick Buckus was coming at me. <laughs> Oh god! Oh my! God. I want to tell you, I can't get over the fact that all the truck horns going yeah. by will give the. It, 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 it's yeah. It sounds more ramshackle, but it, it's it, it almost sounds more, I guess, intimate in a sense. It sounds a bit more, you know, organic. It feels less synthetic. It feels way more natural. So. I, I'm down for that. That that, that yeah. sounds hilarious a little bit, but also really, really cozy, I could argue. Because yeah. yes. right there, everyone I've seen like all the steps right by it. It almost feels like I'm in walking in the Hall of Fame. This is what I'm like. The here is my bus before you bring it within the entry. And you know, it's not right by, I guess, how would I describe it? Like the orange, you know, juicer. Uh, is that is, is that what people call the, the top part of it? At the original building, yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. The original building was that orange juicer. So when you go in there, when when you go the summer or fall, um, you'll walk in and there'll be a spiral staircase. And right in the middle of it is Jim Thorpe. And uh, you go up. I mean, there's, and then they've built at least two or three other buildings onto this building. Wow. You know, they have a theater in there now. That was never there. Um and that's good to see. There's pictures, uh, you know, all the, the set. The busts have their own room, and that's pretty good. Then you'll have each a, a display for each team and the guys that are in there for that team. You know, it's pretty impressive. Um, you know, there's a guy that lived on the May Street. You're not going to believe this, but I, I just it popped in my head with Jim Thorpe. But there was a guy that lived about three streets up from me, and his name was Eddie Keenan, but we were young kids. Mm -hmm. We had a paper roots. And he lived in this house, and the woman's name was Grady. Grady. Okay, we didn't know. We didn't. We were just 11 or 12 years old. We didn't really get it. That was his sister. Oh. And, and Grady, she was a customer of my buddy, my wow. best friend, Frank DeVino. And so we knew the house as Grady, a G on the front door, you know, on the screen on the front there would be like those metal things with the with the G or whatever H, whatever your initial was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And but this guy was roaming around in the yard for years. This was going out probably three three years at least, and he was a very large guy, and he was very bow legged, and he had a he had a white tank top on with shorts, and he would mow the lawn. So one day we sit down with him. He's telling us he played professional football for the Hartford Blues. And he played against Jim Thorpe in 1926. And he played against Red Grange. They both played wow. in that year. And his name was Eddie Keenan. You can look him up. 
who's called Eddie Bull Keenan. There is something on him. He's actually in a book that I got, I ordered, and I gave it to my buddy Hubbard, who was down there with me, and he was a big football guy. And I said, you're not going to believe it. I said, I found the book, and Eddie Keenan is just, there's his name is mentioned in there. And we didn't get it at the time. We were only 11 or 12 years old. Like, we weren't understanding the, we weren't grasping it. And we knew he was a big guy. Then I looked him up. Six foot four, 320 pounds. He was the largest guy that played in that entire decade. Wow. Of the 20s, from 1920 to 1930. Well, and at this point, he was in his mid-70s. At this, He lived to be 84. But we just we still talk about it to this day, me and my buddies, how he, how he was there, like just right here in our neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, we just, yeah. He was from we Waterbury. <laughs> he was from Waterbury. He even says it, born in Waterbury, yep. Mm-hmm. Waterbury, born Waterbury, died at Waterbury. There you go. He got it pulled up already. This guy's quick on the computer, Mark. He's not yeah. like you and me. He, uh, we, he we, played, the show would be over, we wouldn't be able to pull it in. He played for <laughs> 10 games in 1926 for the Hartford Blues. Yes. He was number 25. Played guard. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, here he is mowing the lawn. <laughs> we, you know, we just didn't get it. We just didn't. But now we talk, we appreciate it more now that we're, you know, me and my buddies are in our 60s. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's like we, we just, it's a crazy you know, it's incredible. But when I mentioned Jim Thorpe being in the in the stairwell there, it just popped in my head. Eddie Keenan played against him. You know, that's that's incredible. Um, what other places like besides? Uh, I hear that they had some new expansions. Like I know that back when you know Baker was in charge, he wanted to have the whole Hall of Fame Village. But from Paul has told me one of my friends, he's from Ohio. Oh, he doesn't. He's not from Hawaii. He's actually from uh, I think he's from Hamilton, Ontario originally, but he but he now lives in Ohio. He was telling me how. Um, or, or Burlington, either one of those two. But he was telling me how they plan to have a whole Hall of Fame village with all these hotels and restaurants and all these other accoutrements. But from my understanding, not as much really got done. I know that the expansion of the stadium uh, put forward by Tom Benson did happen, obviously. But what else really happened besides uh, that? Do you know, Mark? I haven't been there. I haven't been there in 18 years, so... Uh, but just from the first time I went, I, I, I went five years in a row. My first time was in 2000, but that wasn't for the induction ceremonies. That was just to, to visit the museum. And then the following year, 2001, uh, they still had it on the front steps, like you were talking about, Dave. The inductions were on the front steps, and I wasn't really prepared I, I didn't realize how accessible the players were going to be. I, I was walking. I got to the museum early in the morning. Like as soon as it opened, I got into the museum. And it was hardly there was hardly anybody there. It was like a ghost town. And wow. all of a sudden, I see Nick Bonacani, and, wow. and he's with his son. His son was in the wheelchair. And they're walking up the hallway, and there's like nobody around. It's just... And I and I wasn't prepared. I didn't have my camera or anything. And he was Nick, <laughs> Nick Bonacani heading right towards me. But <laughs> so then I went back and I went back to the hotel. I got my camera and I got a lot of good pictures. But then uh, the following year, I think was the first year they had it at the stadium. And each year that I went, it got harder and harder to to get 
pictures with the player. You know, they weren't as accessible now because it seemed like it all changed when they went to the stadium. When they left the, the front steps and went to the stadium, it, 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 the players weren't as accessible. And, uh, it, yeah, just in those five years, uh, there was a lot of expansion. Like each year I went back, you could see they were expanding it more and more. So by now, I would imagine it's really, really got to be built up. Mm -hmm. It's way more like an event that way, way, way oh, more yeah. people uh, get on and try to get more attention. And just in general, it's a way, way larger event, you know, way more social media posts, way more attention, way more traffic, way more views. Yeah. Just, just way, way more. And, you know, in, in terms of it being a business, it, it really does work. It, it has helped out. It has increased the profile. I think, I think USA Today even ranked it as like the best, you know, sports museum in, in America, which is pretty incredible, not going to lie. Oh, yeah. It's an amazing, amazing museum. You can Vinny, you sound like you're up on a lot of stuff. What happened to David Baker? Something happened. Yeah, like there's something else going on behind the official story. I think. Yes, uh, it was. It came out the same time as John Gruden uh, had, was forced out of the out of the Raiders. So some of my friends were actually speculating if this had anything to do with you know maybe there were some you know let's say bad emails found of him to get dirt to try to get stuff away from Dan Snyder. Uh, turned out that was not the case. Uh, he said he was retiring. But they said he was still being used in a capacity, which didn't really make much sense to me. So I looked, did a little more digging, and it turned out there was actually a lot of issues behind the scenes because Baker oh, yeah. promised that there would be way more expansion, really growing out the Hall of Fame Village with Johnson Controls. In fact, Johnson Controls, I, I could be wrong about this, but I think they were even considering maybe even leaving the plan just because of how much stagnation there's been. And it's the village is still going to happen, but it's going to be way, way, way less than what was originally planned. And that screws over a lot of uh, taxpayers, from my understanding. A lot of taxpayers, especially people around the area, were promised a lot more. And we, they're more than likely not going to get what they expected. So that's not going to be good. So, and that's why Jim Porter's there instead. He's coming with a business mind, maybe to see if the village is going to work out. If not, we'll see what their next plan of action is. That's what I've heard. Was it Joe Horrigan? He was there before Baker, and uh, I think it was. That, I think that was his name. He's still he's still involved somehow. Uh, no, uh, yes and no. Horrigan has been involved with the Pro Football Hall of Fame for several decades. In terms of the guy that was running it, it was Stephen Perry that was running it before David Baker. Uh, Steve Perry, not the former singer of Journey. I should know that because <laughs> my my dad is a diehard Journey fan. He has like 50 CDs and listens. He said, hey, Vincent, you know, Neil Sean played at the NBA, NBA, NBA Finals opening game. Why didn't you tell me? He said, because I was focused on the game itself, Dad. <laughs> I was saying that to him. But yeah, uh, Stephen Perry was running it. I, there were several other guys before. I was just really thinking about Steve Perry because he was the one that came before Baker. His son, you know, played for the Falcons. He was, you know, okay as a player, you know, he was a lineman, if I'm not mistaken, or a linebacker. Either way, and he was also the commissioner of the Arena Football League for a while. I think like I think like 15, maybe almost 20 years for the AFL. And you know, he took up the job, you know, a few years later to become, you know, the head of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I would probably argue their most famous um 
head president of the Pro Football Hall of Fame because he was always way more out there. He spoke a lot more. He always had. He was the one knocking on the door. His larger-than-life presence also got the eye of many people. Um, we'd yeah. always joke in our threads that, oh, he's coming. He's he would come with a knock on the door and said, Man, that reminds me of my middle school, my middle school principal, uh, Dr. Dr. Dan Markwood, <laughs> actually. That's just me, me personally. But he always kind of remind me of that, that larger than life uh, figure who was always very uh, happy. But, you know, people behind the scenes felt a bit more mixed about him. They saw him as more attention grabbing. They saw him as a bit more, you know, more about the show and not about the game itself. I would disagree with that. He cared very much about the game. Of course, he's been involved with it for many years with the arena side and the professional side. But I'm curious what his future role with the organization is going to be. And I'm really excited to see what Porter's going to do. But that, that's what I know about, you know, David Baker in terms of why he decided to retire. It's less so retiring, more so like he was kind of pushed out almost. I thought there was something to that, Mark. I, but I, I, you know, I didn't keep up on it. Just kind of passed me by. I got a shot here of that original building from the uh, – so here's a shot I took yeah. from – I just after I got done with whatever I was doing, I went to the back of the – and they used to have that tarp up in the front, that big thing to keep the – because let me tell you, Every time I went there, it was so hot, you know, and I thought Connecticut was brutal, but this was, it was always hot and always humid. Yeah. And that thing would shade some of the players and some of the guys. And so that was kept probably a little, you know, even if it was a 10 degree difference, that was kind of a big, big thing. But the crowds, it was great. It was that when it was on the, when it was on the, uh, you know, in that building. And then uh, this was 92. Um, a friend of mine, he's a huge Raider fan, my buddy Ray, one of my best friends. And Al Davis was getting inducted, and we said, we're going to go down, because he would go on my trips if a cowboy was going, so I would go on his trips if there was a Raider. So nice. we get, and they go, you'll never get Al Davis to sign anything. You'll never get Al Davis to take a picture with you. So we, got, we were in the lobby. He came in, and we said, Al, we met you down in Dallas for the in 86. He came right over. Oh. Said, I, we said, we're from Waterbury, Connecticut. He says, I know. He says, the town with the clocks. So we knew there was lots of time. Timex was here. And so he came right over. I got a picture of my buddy Ray with Al Davis there. Wow, and he was very nice that night. And I had a ball, one of those footballs. And I said, Ray, while you're taking pictures with these guys, just hand them the ball while you're taking them. You know, we'll, they'll sign it. And so we, I, we got, I told you, we got about four. Here's Ted Hendricks. There's my Ted Hendricks, Ray. He was about six foot seven, Ted Hendricks. Yeah, um, he was. And my buddy Ray's got the ball in his hand there. You can see it. Yeah. And so I got oh. this ball with like 35 Raider signatures on it. Wow. I should actually give it to Ray because I, you know, I don't even really care about it. But and then uh, we got uh, everybody. I think knows this guy here. We got Madden. Madden came. Madden was pretty nice. We got a picture with Madden, and. Uh, he was very nice. He almost looks a little bit. Uh, he look, almost looks a little surprised to be taking that picture. He's like, huh? <laughs> "Yeah, I mean, we." I had a great camera. I had a Nikon camera with a Metz flash. Wow! And so I had a lot of professional equipment. And I think I told Arnie on the first time I was on with him, I had a bunch of press passes made, and they never failed, Arnie. Maybe I don't know today with everything so tight, but I I could tell you up until easily probably 2018, 2015, right around there, 2018. Never had a problem with anybody. My picture on them, the this, the that. And I had four or five different ones, and, and they always worked. So we always got in, like, 
pretty much, you know, where we ever wanted. Here was a, here's a shot for you, Mark. You'll appreciate this. Ben Davidson. Oh, yeah. Big Great Ben Davidson. Oh, yeah. wow. And uh, my buddy Ray was in his glory. We, You know, this was a big night. One guy was so impressed, he took us right into the party. Wow. They had this massive ice sculptor of a Raider shield. And and everybody was in there. Al did, and I here's a picture with uh there's Daryl LaMonica, Mark. Oh, rest in peace. That's a good Yeah, didn't he, he just passed away, kind yeah, of. Yeah, he just died. He? Yeah. Yeah, Daryl LaMonica. I don't know if you guys are getting a glare on these, but no, I can see him. Here's well. one of my favorites, Pete Banazak. Nobody even knew he was the running back. We that's me with him. We yeah. corralled him out in the parking lot. And that's when I said, Mark, I said, who, Pete, whoever hit you the hardest? He said, my wife. <laughs> that's what he said. So, you know, we, we still talk about that, me and my buddy Ray. And here's a classic. Here's me and uh, this was Sid Gilman showed up for this event because he was tight. Oh, wow. Al Davis. Sid, Sid Gilman. Gilman showed up to this one? He was so proud that we knew who he was. Nobody was even near the guy. And he was so proud that we knew who he was. He was he had his hand around my waist. You could see it. He was yeah. pulling me close. He was so proud of it. My, me and my buddy Ray, we got pictures with him. Yeah, that's, oh, yeah. that's a that nice man. Story. That was a good night. That it, man oh, here's had a coaching tree of the ages. It's true. Well, yeah. He was, I don't know ooh. if anybody's but anybody's could top that. No, no one can, in my opinion, at least. Yeah, give me some guys that stemmed off that tree. I forgot. Uh, I'm looking at it right now. Um, for Sid Gillen's tree, uh, right afterwards you had you know Al Davis, Don Coriel, Dirk Vermeil, Chuck Knoll, George Allen. Um, then afterwards you had um, John Madden, Joe Gibbs, uh, Tony Dungy, Bill Walsh, Art Shell, Tom Flores, Mike Holmgren, Jim Fossil, Paul Hackett, Sam Weish, George Seaford, Dennis Green. Jeff Fisher, Mike Shanahan, Andy Reid, Steve Mariucci, Mike Sherman, John Gruden, John like this tree is so massive. Like and for some of these, like people talk about, you know, like Dungy's coaching tree or Greed's coaching tree or a home run tree, but all those go all the way back to Gilman. Gilman is literally like the head root on the main trunk and everything else. Yeah, you may have some big branch here and there, but where does the branch go? The big branch goes into the main trunk itself, and the main trunk itself is that of Sid Gilman. Yes. That's those first five names were were staggering. Uh, Coriel, remember Eric Coriel, Mark? Oh, yeah. That guy should be in the Hall of Fame. He, he's, he's someone that my friend Mike, he's a huge Chargers fan. He really really wants Corey Allen, even though he never grew up for it. He said, you know, he changed the way, you know, passing was. And of course he was the mentor of Bill Walsh. You argue yes. that there would be no Bill Walsh. It would not be for Don Coriel. No, that's just a relatively recent person. There's many others too. I'm a big buddy Parker guy. I'm a big, you know, Clark Shaughnessy person, but I'm just mentioning Coriel as he is part of Gilman's coaching tree. I got a couple pictures. I got a couple pictures here. This one is a. Uh, let's see. Can you see that? Yes. That's my son when he was young, with uh, Mel Renfro. Wow. And wow. this one. This one is my son with Ron Yarry, 
Whoa. I don't know if you could tell in this picture, he actually took off his Hall of Fame ring and let my son put it on I, on his. Imagine finger. that. Yeah. He how big son. was how big was that finger on your son's <laughs> finger? How how big was that ring on your son's finger? Well, you see, he had to close his hand so it wouldn't fall off. It was, <laughs> it was huge. It was a huge. Very Those nice. are huge fingers too. Like they're like twice the size of mine. It's like that. That that's the size of like my big toe, almost. Just like just as pinky hooks at. This. Yeah. And here's my these these I'm very proud of. This is me with John Mackey. Oh, the tight end. Tight end. Cold, cold, cold. I'm I'm very proud of those. I'm glad I got those because I actually almost. He's one of your favorites. He's one of your favorites, Mark. That's right. And that was the final year that I went, 2004. And like I said, each year it got harder and harder to get pictures with the player. So there was this hordes of fans, you know, they were getting smothered. The players were getting smothered. So it was very difficult to get to even get near them. So I was getting discussed. I was what ready to is leave. Those collection things where people collected cards and people collected so it kind you know, guys would show up and want guys to sign tw- ten cards. Right. You know, be yeah. like, you know, get, get the heck out of here, will you? You, you get your you want one card or something for yourself. But they know they know what you're up to. You're gonna, you know, keep a card, you're gonna sell the other nine. It got crazy. Right. And just like anything else. Some <laughs> stuff well, once something turns you off, like that started turning me off to things. You turned yeah, me off know, just, as well. Yes, it really rubbed me the wrong way, and it just you know, we we had a lot of great. I mean, and I took my brother with me, my brother uh, who worked at the ice cream shop with me at the time, and we were roaming. We went, we, and then all of a sudden we we're walking across. This was when you could actually go right down into the field. We're walking across the field, What's... and we run into Chris Berman. Oh, and we said, you know. <laughs> Mr. Berman, how are you? You know, we're from Waterbury. Chris Berman's from Cheshire, Connecticut. Right. And Cheshire's 10 minutes from, from my town. And he goes, oh, my God. And you know something? I had this picture hanging up in the ice cream shop. I had tons of pictures hanging up in there. Probably, Mark knows, probably right. 80, 90, 100 pictures of different players. And, wow. And I sent this picture to Berman to give it to him. And I said, you know, thanks for, thanks for talking. Well, he spent about 10, 15 minutes with us. And, uh, he actually signed it and sent it back and said, two Hall of Famers. And so here's a picture of my brother, Paul, and I. Uh, we were down on, on the field the night before, the day before the game with Chris Berman. Wow. And his, um, so that was pretty, you know, that was, we, got, we got a big kick out of that. And he knew exactly. And the funny thing about it is a buddy of mine, big cowboy guy, he moved to Hawaii. And I think I talked about this, uh, Arnie, on the first time I, I was on with you. And I didn't tell you about Berman, though. Berman owns a house in Hawaii. Yeah, my buddy Tom would see him at, at church on, on Sundays. And he, wow. <laughs> and he knew my buddy Tom was from Naugatuck, Connecticut. And Chris Berman, if you look him up, got a start in Naugatuck, Connecticut on a local radio station here. And so whenever he would see my buddy Tom, he'd say, hey, Naugatuck, how you doing? No, he forgot his name. But <laughs> it was he. I talk to my buddy Tom like once a month now. Well, during football season, we'll talk once a week. But he moved to Hawaii in 2008. And he goes, oh, there's a lot of guys. He would talk to me. You know, there's a lot of guys come out on vacation out here. A lot of players and this and the Willie Nelson has a house out there. 
and he's Berman was one of the guys. So Chris Berman's got a got a house out here. We see a very nice guy. Here's a shot with me with Bud Grant, the great Viking coach. Also um, great Winnipeg Blue Bombers coach too. Don't forget. That's right. Yes, yes, and a, and a professional basketball and football player, Arnie. I think I sent you that little thing about Bud Grant, who I thought gave one of the greatest speeches at the Hall of Fame I've ever heard. He was he was talking about when he went to see the he would he lived in Minnesota and his father was a big sports fan, Bud Grant's father, and he would take him to the training camp. I think the New York Giants were training in Minnesota. I'm not sure the deck I it could be the 40s. I I think it was, you could look it up. Um I think it was Superior, maybe, or one of those towns up there. Bud Grant's father, and they would meet the coach of the Giants, and he said, "My son's going to play for you one day." You know, they every year they would measure him up, oh, a little bigger, a little <laughs> taller. You know, and uh, he eventually he, he says, "You know, his, his father was deceived when he got into the Hall of Fame, but his mother was still alive." And at the towards the end of the speech, he said, "You know, my if my mother were here today." You know, she would look at us. She would look at me with the, the pride that only a mother could have. He said, "If my father were here, you know, he would stand up and he would say, the kid made it. He finally made it.' And he was—he was pulling out a—he was pulling out a complete like rag out of his pocket, not even a hanky. And he was wiping his face. It was tremendous. Probably one of the best speeches I ever heard. Jeez, talk about the emotions of that moment. My God, like it was unbelievable." And probably the craziest speech was probably John Riggins. I was there for John Riggins. I don't know what the hell he was talking about. He was talking about the law of the Yukon. And he was probably him and also Ted Hendricks, who I believe, and I'm not even kidding. I swear to God, I don't I don't drink. I never drank in my life. Ted Hendricks was drunk. That's a Hall of Fame. I'm convinced of it. I mean, this guy, even my buddy Ray was saying, something's wrong. Doesn't sound right. <laughs> Is, could, could that be an old, I don't know, Guatemalan tradition or something like that? In, in his- <laughs> I don't know. What, I don't know what it was, but if you could hear the speech, and he wasn't talking too kindly about somebody, and I think it was the commissioner at the time. Oh, <laughs> I don't remember his speech, but I was looking at my buddy Ray, and I was like, "What the heck is going on? <laughs> you know, like, this is kind of insane, a little, you know." But he was the mad stork. Ted Hendricks. And let's see. I just got a few more. Here's here's a like this is my angle from kind of where I used to stand in the crowd. So this was a shot I took of Randy White up at the podium. So I was getting fairly close to these. And I wasn't even using too much of a zoom lens. But that was him up at the podium. That was when they were having it right in front of the Hall of Fame at the time. He looks and here's one. I was able to walk right up and get a shot of the busts. Yeah. And there, you know. That's how close I was able to get. Right. But those were, you know, the, you know, it was very intimate. That was the word I was looking for before. Intimate. Very intimate. Yeah. Very intimate Mark, experience. Yes, exactly. Exactly, Vinny. You're going to like this one, Mark. Oh, is that uh, Jackie Smith, right? <laughs> Jackie Smith. Mark, who's, better, who's better than Mark? Yeah, Jackie Smith. And here's another one, Mark. You'll like this one. It's me and Gil Brandt. Gil Brandt, yep. Yeah, the guy's still alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I want him so bad. He's I'm still active, right? What's yeah, he's he still active. Good? He's still working for NFL.com. He's uh, still doing, you know, he's still working on there. He's still giving, you know, radio calls. He's still hosting 
shows on just inc- that dude is such an ambassador for the game for being a pioneer for bring technology into the world of scouting and helping create a legendary Cowboys team that was dominant for 30 years. It's just remarkable. You didn't grant you. He had time with the Niners and the Rams as well, but he's a Cowboy first and foremost. And as much as I was happy with, you know, Pat Bowen, cause all the fans want, I was especially happy for Gil Brand because I felt like not enough people really gave him credit. And a lot of people just said, Oh, he's only in because of the media. No, 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 no. Way more than just that. When you bring technology into it and literally change the game, I'm going to be someone always on board because I'm very, as I've talked with Arnie, I'm someone that's very progressive in that field, big with, you know, technological advancements in society itself. And I, I that that looks like a dream come true. I, I would love to have my picture with Gil Brandt personally. He was a very nice guy too. He was not, he didn't shine you on or talk like, you know, he was very – he just took some heat, though, for that thing with the guy that got killed, right? Yeah, Dwayne so, Haskins. It's, but to be fair, even in that situation, I understand where he was coming from because Dwayne Haskins did have some issue. It turns out he was apparently, you know, apparently he had alcohol on him. He was on, like, what was it, like uh, ketamine or something like that he was on? Uh, That's a big one today, yep. Scary, just absolutely scary and very sad situation all around for Dwayne Haskins. Yep, he was a very, very, very cordial guy. You could go right up to him and talk – yeah, it was great, Mark. I know. And he knows, Mark. Not too many people know about Gil Brandt. Yeah, I'm very surprised. Vinny knows his stuff. Yeah, uh, how, old you, how old are you, Vinny? I'm going to be 23 on June 30th. Oh, that you know. Are you kidding there's, me? There's no. I'm one. not even joking. I'm not joking. I'm 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 not even 23 yet. <laughs> there's no one that age. No one that age that knows their history like that. So that's it's unbelievable. That's absolutely staggering. I know. <laughs> I I wanted Gil Brandt back when I was in college. I was a huge Gil Brandt guy. I was talking about, even back then. I said, "Oh, I want these old pre NFL guys." Like I said, I want Duke Slater was someone I really wanted from there, and no one knew who Duke Slater was. Like Duke, who's Duke Slater? I said, "He's a guy I want. He's the first ever black lineman in the NFL." That what? And then my friend Eddie. Uh, t- Told me, you know, I said, "Hey, congrats, congrats, Vinny! You got your boy Duke Slater, and finally, <laughs> <laughs> that's unbelievable. <laughs> okay. That's crazy, bro. Mm-hmm. So let's hear your. Uh, oh, <laughs> I know uh, you two guys have a, a long list of players you'd like to see in the Hall of Fame. I'm a little more, uh, what would you call it, exclusive, like." I, I'm not sure I'm a fan of putting everyone in the Hall of Fame. Like, a lot of guys have lists that just go on and on, you know. At what, I mean, at what point, you know, where do we stop, you know? There, it's almost like there has to be a Tier 1 and a Tier 2 now. I mean, when you took, you know, guys like Bob Lilly, Jim Brown, uh, Dick Buckus, I'll throw in Barry Sanders because Arnie's here. Um those guys you don't even have to think about. That's just automatic. Yeah. They're in. Yeah. But then you have tier two where, you know, you have to think, does this guy belong in? And I mean, there has to be a limit each year to how many guys you can put in. I hear a lot of fans, you know, I want this guy in. I want that guy. Well, you know, where does it end? I, I think you have to have a limit each year to how many guys you can put in. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I would never, I, even though I'm someone that likes a lot of people, and I would never be the kind of person that says, oh, just put them all in at once, because that just would not make a lot of sense from a business perspective. Forget forget exclusively, just from a business perspective, it would not be very interesting, because if you get them all at once, okay, you're not going to have any buildup for the next time. You got to you gotta have some guys off, so that way it keeps it interesting. Right. Uh, but for me in particular, as I've told Arnie, even though I do like talking about players, I've always been much more of a contributor individual. I'm the kind of guy that's into, for instance, the executive, the general manager, the owner, for instance, or you know, the inventor, all these more relatively niche parts. But to me, way much more significant because sometimes their impact is much larger than just playing the game. That's true. Did George Young ever get in? George Young made it in 2020. Um, um, he made it the same. He, he was along with two with two other uh, contributors, if I recall. Paul Tagliabue was among them, as well as Steve Sable. Um, I told Arnie for a Mount Rushmore, he, he, and they said, "Vinny, if you had a Mount Rushmore of four contributors, you would have won. Which four would you go with?" And I went with a very easy four: Oliver David Thompson or Od Thompson. He's the man that made. American football professionalized back in the 1892 for the uh, Allegheny Athletics Association, part of the Western Pennsylvania professional football circuit. Very huge, significant name. Ralph Hay, of course, you know, he's the one that made the NFL what it was in 1920 when he organized all the owners together uh, and, you know, the NFL was born. But I also threw in two other names that were a little bit more off, off the road, not exactly ones you would think of, but Thinking about it very uh, concisely, it actually makes a lot of sense. Wilfred Winkenbach, he was a minority owner of the Raiders in the early 1960s when they were part of the AFL, and he was significant as he was the one that created fantasy football. And now that institution is so massive for the NFL's growth as well as the game itself, it rakes in billions and billions and billions of dollars every year. In fact, in some situations, the worth of professional of, of fantasy football could might even be larger than the NFL itself in some areas. And another one I threw in there for my fourth guy was Trip Hawkins. That's the founder of Electronic Arts and Electronic Arts, the video game studio. They created the Madden games, and that's very significant because along with you know the game itself and fantasy football, the Madden games are the three pillars to the NFL's you know growth. Those are the three main areas that they focus on: the game itself, um, the Madden games, and fantasy football. And they focus on those three areas. And I feel like you need to have, if you're going to focus on those other two areas, you've got to focus on Winkenbach, the one that made fantasy football itself, the one that really brought in all these other casual people into the game and grew it up that way and hawkins the man that brought it to all newer generations and also made game playing itself much more interesting much more engaging with you know fans and audience members and everything right it made people also want to become coaches because of the madden games so those i i know that you know they're not ones that a lot of people talk of you know one two two were way before my my grandparents were even born and you know the other two are ones that I guess you could say a little bit, you know, newer age thinking, but I like to balance that a little bit. What do you guys think? I, let me just say about, I think baseball does a much better job of picking Hall of Famers. If you want to get down to who should be in and who shouldn't be in. Um, I just think it's much more exclusive. I, especially in the last 10 years in football. I mean, there's guys that are getting in and you're like, 
like when this guy was playing, I didn't never, when I said his name, it never dawned on me that he was going to be a a hall of famer. Never mind even a first ballot hall of famer. Some of them. So we're forgetting getting him in the first ballot. Okay. Crazy. Like, like, uh, what's his name there? The played for Miami. Um, Uh, Jason Taylor. He's a first ballot hall of famer. I was shocked by that myself. Are you kidding me? Yeah. (laughs) Unbelievable. I tell him right here if he walked in my front door. Sorry, buddy, you were great. I'm not a first ballot Hall of Famer, okay? I got no problem with saying it to him. Yeah, he he, he wouldn't like, mind. He he'll 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 have a smile on his face and said, "Okay, what are you gonna do about it?" <laughs> nothing. I'm not gonna take you out of there. Nobody is, but you know something. <laughs> I just uh, I don't I don't I don't I don't I don't uh, you know. There's just other. There's a lot of other guys too that I just say, "Geez, yeah." You know, and you look over the list and you go, "This guy's in the Hall of Fame." You even forget about it. That some of these guys are in. Yeah. And they've passed some of the old timers. Uh, yeah, I've sad about that too. And not just like for your guys' generation. I like, I think of like all the other generations. Like I was telling Arnie before, my mo- one of my most wanted players, Laverne Dilwig, played for the Packers. He was, he was essentially their Don Hudson before Don Hudson. The, the man was the best end of the 1920s. But the reason why he gets, you know, overlooked because, you know, you had Don Hudson there and because, those Lambeau Packers teams, the 20s and 30s, were just so dominant that, you know, in a sense, if you put them all in, it could, you know, it, it, it would be too much. But I would just say, even for Dillwick, a man that has, he's been on six all-decade teams. He's been, he's been six, different, six different organizations, put him on as part of their all-decade team. Like, you know, eight all-pros, like, that's someone I really want. And I feel bad for, like, you know, even his, like, you know, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren that's, you know, they they don't they don't even realize how great you know their their flesh and blood was back in the day, and you know I, I almost feel kind of bad like I feel see a lot of people just push for who they grew up with or someone that you know they liked, but I'm like saying, you know it it kind of feels a little selfish if you're just, just thinking about your era. I, I'm someone that likes to think about everyone because I care about people my own age, but also care about the people that came before me. Right. Well, and like you were saying, well, uh, those guys from the 1920s, the 1930s, the 1940s, they easily get forgotten about because football just wasn't that popular back then. Baseball was the main game, and college football was much more popular than pro football. So, you know, the guys, guy like the guy you just mentioned, most people would say, oh, I never even heard of him because – it just wasn't popular at that time. Yeah, like I, I think of an analogy similar to like you know, like when like when JJ Reddick was saying how like oh Bob Cousy just played with you know firemen and plumbers and you know Cousy responded saying I play with you know Bill Russell and Will Chamberlain and everyone else. So if we play with plumbers and firemen, we probably play with the best plumbers and firemen on the damn planet. <laughs> I, I, I see in the same way here because a lot of people think of like just people from those previous generations just oh. They were inferior. They just played on cow fields. Like, no, no, man, <laughs> it, it's not like that. They were they they were tougher than you could ever be. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that may I be- mean, you you could say, Mark. Uh, I I think look, these guys that say, well, these guys, these Hall of Famers from the '60s and '70s, which is kind of our era. No, they couldn't play. Look, he, if a guy's a Hall of Famer. If they had the training and the stuff that goes on today, they'd actually be better than some of these modern guys. Yeah, I'd because say they had so. they had more football. They had they had 
They may not be the athlete that these guys are, but they were football players. These guys could play football. Okay, they had to. The, these guys today don't even want to tackle. Please, they had to go to work during the off season. Those guys had to go to work during the off season. Yeah, they were they selling did. insurance. They, they did other things. Football wasn't their only job. They had to. They like I was saying for Dilwick, like that was not his only profession. He was doing numerous other jobs, and that was the case for most of those people, especially before the merger. Like that, that, that was not like the reason why you never see like a Bo Jackson or something like that today, like. Because back then you had multiple people that played multiple sports, multiple jobs. Like George Howells played for the Yankees even for a bit of the time. Um, all these people had to have multiple jobs just to have an income. Like football was just one little part of it. But now, you know, your entire career could be based on just, you know, one thing, in this case, athletics. That was not the case many years ago. No. So I, th- I wish that more people put that in consideration. That's true. Chuck Bagnerick. Drove a concrete truck. That's how he got his nickname. He drove a concrete truck during the season, not just in the off season. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Bob, Bob just thought he was because he was up, but no, he he ran a whole. He he was operating the concrete truck. <laughs> yeah, during the season. <laughs> One thing that gets lost in Hall of Fame voting is, uh. You know, everybody. The first thing somebody does when they look like look up a Hall of Famer, what they're they're going to look up is stats. But just from watching football and playing football for a long period of time too, and just getting to know some of the players actually, like unless you've actually watched a guy play, there could be a guy with average stats, but he was a real gamer. You know, you could say Mark, you could say Drew Pearson comes to mind in that. Nothing like the stats that a receiver would have today, but this guy made the biggest catches in the biggest games. And if unless you were watching, unless you were watching it, you'd just look at his stats and go, this guy's very average. In fact, by today's standards, he's way below average. But not when you watch them. You'd have to really watch certain guys from certain eras. And, I, and then they could go, well, you know, well, what's the – there's really no measuring stick. Although if you're going to be – if you're going to be – you know, selected to go into all of them, you should be dominant at your position for at least half your career. Yep. So if you play 10 years, you should have been dominant player for at least five years, at least. That's the key like, word. One of the best players at your position. I think that's lost today. Like, I think you could be very, very good for a pretty long period of time, and that, like, gets you in, but but you're not dominant. You know, that's there's the key this word, Dave, dominant. That's the word mm-hmm. I was looking for. I would still say you know? that even even in like certain areas, I would still say you know even for people that are dominant, they still like you know get lost in the shuffle just because of who they are. And I like like for instance, one of my most wanted players um, was actually you know Randy Gratishar one because I have my friend Ron over in Denver, huge huge Gratishar guy. You've probably seen him online, uh, or I think you might have seen uh, Ron uh, Ron. Ron um, Ron Chappell, you know, he, he's on uh, Twitter a lot. He's a huge Gratishar guy. And he mentions how, you know, it's not just, you don't have to just look at, you know, the awards. You have to see how much of a commanding force he had on those orange crush teams in the 1970s. And you'll see that not only was he the heart and soul of those orange crush teams, but he was a guy that should have been in the Hall of Fame years ago. Absolutely. <laughs> I would not do that. I would not mm-hmm. disagree with you. And like mm-hmm. I said, I'm not one of these guys that says this guy should be in, that guy should be in. Radishar, the Broncos 
the early 70s, mid-70s, they weren't a very good team. They were hardly ever on television in our area. And whenever they were on television, I always remember the PA announcer at Mile High Stadium. <laughs> Radisher on the tackle. Radisher on the tackle. Radisher on the tackle. Every tackle he was in on. And he gets overlooked. He gets overlooked. I mean, Merlin Olsen said that he was one of the very best linebackers that he ever played against or even covered. Like, he, he said this years and years ago for Merlin Olsen, saying, you know, back in, like, I think, like, the mid-early 2000s, he said, like, like, his entire Wikipedia page, in terms of NFL legacy, he has, like, a massive, like, literally, like, I think, like, at least, like, eight paragraphs explaining why he should be in the Hall of Fame and just people just saying how he was the very, very best, the finest I've ever seen, like – Come on, guys. Like, especially with the increase of having three seniors, if Brandy Gratishar is not one of those three men, I, I'll be okay if there's no Dillwig or Wister because they were older. But if they're going to have three people from seniors, Gratishar has to be one of them. And it better be because in my own list, he was the only guy that was unanimous from all 15 of us. He was the only guy. <laughs> well, yeah, he was very, very I, – I, I don't have anything in front of me to pull up his – you know, I can't look up his things, but he was he was and there was a guy after him that was a pretty good and he was a key figure on that team for a pretty numbers was Mecklenburg. Right. Mecklenburg, oh, uh, Mecklenburg. Louis Wright's and Lewis Wright's another one. Uh but he but he was a he was a secondary. He wasn't, you know, a linebacker. And I'm talking about these the Orange Crush uh members, like Mecklenburg came a bit afterwards. He was Yes, um, he, yes. He was semifinalist, I think, yeah. like eight straight years he was a semifinalist. I call that semifinalist purgatory, where you're just stuck there and there's no way getting up. <laughs> well, be- before you came on, uh, we were on the three of us, uh, Vinny, and they were asking me about uh, – we were talking about Chuck Howley, who was a guy who played in the, for the Cowboys. But um, of all the guys I look at, Cowboys – you know, you could talk about maybe Mark Ed Jones if you wanted to, or or maybe there's a couple other guys they throw in there. but Chuck Holly, people forget the guy was drafted in '58, I believe. Um, and if you look him up, he lost a year. He was out. He tore up his knee. He was a first round draft choice of the Bears. He didn't even know what the draft was. He goes, "What's that?" Somebody said, he "Said you got drafted to play professional football." The Landry called him up, I think, in '61, and said, "Do you want to play football? You want to play football again?" The guy played for 13 more seasons. Look at he's got like a lot of fumble recoveries. He was I think he was all pro, not Pro Bowl, all pro. I think five or six years. Six, six years, um, if I recall, it was uh, five five first team from sixty six to seventy, and then he got a second teamer in nineteen seventy one. He also had a year in nineteen seventy where he was a first team all pro, but missed the Pro Bowl. How about <laughs> uh, he's got some intercept? He was the only guy named the, uh, uh, um, MVP from a losing Super Bowl team ever. Okay, the, the, he had big plays in the Super Bowl. He could have been actually, Mark, if you want to get down to it, he could have been the MVP of Super Bowl six. That's true. If you think about it. He, he had very good game that game. He had interceptions. He was a great athlete. He was a five-sport letterman at West Virginia. You would get along very well with my friend Paul. He's a – oh, he just left again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could do a yeah, – do you think that's a Randy White jersey or is that a Chuck Howley jersey? That that that, that could good, good question because the Cowboys don't really retire their numbers ever. Literally. It could be either or. It depends. 
Yeah, um, I would assume it's a rainy white because, you know, I, I assume that white stirs are much more readily available than, you know, that. Custom made. Yeah. I don't think it was slightly custom made too, or maybe it was one of those Chinese jerseys. <laughs> no, it um, was custom made in, in Canton. No, in Cooperstown. Oh. Cooperstown. Co- Cooperstown made it? Yep. There was this, uh, a woman he knew that had a, a shop in Cooperstown. He'll tell you the whole story. And she wow. custom made jerseys. Co- going to Cooperstown, it was a real experience because it was like I was stepping back in like the early 1900s and because just how the stores were like, oh, yeah, is, is it working now? Dave, is it working? Now? I got, I got, I got knocked offline for some reason, right oh. off the internet. It said maybe they didn't like me talking uh, about Chuck Howley. No wonder why he's not, they're, they're all against Chuck Howley now. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's conspiracy against Howley, but he's in a yeah. wheelchair now, the guy. Poor dude. Know. There's a, there's a, <laughs> Vinny, you might know. There's a woman down in Dallas. I can't think of her name. She's a sports writer. Oh, she's on NFL Network sometimes. She comes on with uh, and she comes on with what's his name there, Florio. Sometimes on his. Oh, Shereen Williams. Yeah, she's a big proponent. She's a big uh, behind Chuck Holly. She's always, you know, talking about Chuck Holly. But um, Paul Zimmerman. I don't know. Yeah, rest his soul, Doctor. Yeah, yep, Doctor. Yeah, I can't believe I can't believe you. He has a friend that knows about it. You said his friend is a big, you know, Chuck Holly He's guy. A huge, huge. This is a guy. Like Paul's a guy that is like at a Pro Football Hall of Fame Canon guy. Sorry, I'm just forgetting his uh, at at uh, uh, his Twitter handle, but. He has like I think at least 200, 250 helmets of signed Hall of Famers. Just signed Pro Football Hall of Fame helmets signed by people from there. Like even from people that you wouldn't even get, people that have been long dead. He has so many of them because he would go there every single year. But the reason why he stopped going was just because of how pricey he was. But he said for Howley, if there's one person he's going to go there for, it's going to be him. And no, there's a whole thing that we're we're planning on trying to go in 2023 because we think Howley's going to be there. But uh, going back to Howley. Is that is that a Howley jersey or is that a Randy White jersey? It's actually a Randy White jersey. Um, yeah, he was a good friend of mine. We became pretty good friends. Um, there was actually a shot with me. He was staying at a little hotel right outside of. He was signing something for me. Um, that was out, right outside. Can't that was at the time where they had the used to have the uh, hotel stuff that I was telling you about the Park Hotel. He was staying. He gave me the address where he was staying. So we went down to meet him that day. Here's a couple, Mark. You'll know this guy. Tony Dorsett. Oh, Dorsett. Tony Dorsett. Yeah, I got those press passes on there, Arnie, yeah. in that in that picture. They're hanging around my neck, and I had my tripod there. <laughs> and then here's one. Here's another one, Mark. You'll know. There's me and Earl yeah. Campbell. Oh, all right. That's oh. Earl yeah. Campbell, <laughs> that's, that's an old one. And when Landry got in, I had some good seats right on the side. There's a picture of Tom Landry sitting down before he got up to the podium to speak. That's, right. that's, that's a good picture and, right uh, there. There's a shot of Landry at the podium. I had some real good seats. Yeah. Oh, wow. We got there early. It was, it was first come, first serve at the time. You know, wherever you landed, here's me and uh, Herb Adderall. Oh. You talk about a very nice guy, very, very cordial. Here's Buck Buchanan, rest yeah. in peace. 
Buck Buchanan passed away. He was a tall guy. He was big. He was about six. Yeah, six. I mean, he, Buck Buchanan. How tall are you by comparison? I'm five eleven, and he was towering over hmm. me. And he was just. And here's Willie Lanier, another part of that great Chiefs defense. Yeah. And Willie Lanier, actually, because we were going so often, he didn't know our names, but Willie Lanier got to know us by sight <laughs> because we were there every year. Me and my buddy Ray. And there's Ray Nitsky. So there's two two of the greatest linebackers that ever played right there, Ray Nitsky and Willie wow. Lanier. And here's another favorite, Mark. You like this one? Oh, that's uh, is that Dave Dave Robinson? No, no, it's not nope. Dave Robinson. I can't tell. If 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 if, uh, if Vinny gets us, I'll take a crap here. <laughs> um, <Right> name. <laughs> he he what's did he do? A little further back, Mark. A little did, couple of years before. Did, it. did he play in the? Oh, night train I was going to say that. I was yeah. going to say he kind of looks like Lane. Like I just didn't know if it was Lane for sure because you know, I was thinking I was thinking Robinson, <laughs> but like I was saying, he looks kind of big, so he could be linebacker. But I'm not entirely sure. But he has the Lane face, but I didn't say Lane yet. So I was thinking Night Train. Yeah. <laughs> Got to say that. Yeah, he was. He had a very interesting that he had a he was very hard to understand. He had to really hang on to everything he was saying. He had a very different uh I'm not sure where he was from, but it was very thick, whatever wherever he's, he's he was from Austin. From. Um if you see interviews of him, you'll hear it. You know, I think what's his name? Uh George Plimpton once said, you know, I really couldn't understand what he was saying. I'm not sure he knew what he was saying. <laughs> He said, so, that, I mean, you know, that was taking a little, but it, he was a very nice guy. All these, look, a lot of these Hall of Fame guys, especially these older guys, were really, really nice very guys. Humble. I think the only guy that I ever had a bad experience was with uh, Jack Lambert was kind of nasty about with the little kids. He wouldn't sign anything. He said he had a very busy day the next day, and he kind of brushed, he blew everybody <laughs> off. And he really, he was, and George Blanda was cranky. Yeah, he was. He was kind of a crazy. He always guy. looked like he was old even yeah. when he was young. Yeah. <laughs> George Blandy, he's right about yeah. that when he was playing. But, uh, you know, like some of the guys would say, thanks for remembering. Right. You know, not even Hall, just other guys that played, like might have been there for the festivities. They weren't Hall of Famers themselves. But my buddy was, he knew all the Raiders. And the guy said, geez, you got to be a big fan if you know me. This guy was a backup offensive lineman, George Bueller. And there was another guy too. I forgot his name. He was a monster. But these guys were just not, they played football. They were football players. They, they were nice guys, and they didn't think they were. You know, these. I'm. Yeah, I'm not too sure. I would even want to meet a lot of the players. Either. Um, You know, as you get older, you just don't really. Yeah, that makes sense. But those guys were really. You know, Ray Nitsky was a great guy. Right in the parking lot, just came right up. But you know, no Willie Lanier was proud that we. Rec you know, we go up to him every year. You know, but they, they were just great guys, great guys. I'd love know? to. I, I, if some of them were alive today, I, I, I have no problem. I, the one that I want to personally meet the most is Charlie Trippy, because in a century of living on this earth, you probably have a century's worth of stories <laughs> to tell. And I would say for hours to listen to tr what Charlie Trippy has to say, simply because they're just the stories you could tell. Like I've always been fascinated by, especially people that get older and older. Like Bud Green, he's ninety-five years old. Can you imagine the amount of stories you could say in just 95 years of being on this earth? Like, that's what I always look at. Like, you know, one person I really, really wanted in, like, he was the one I was most excited here that made it this year, 
Art McNally, 96 years old. He's going to go in. He's going to be the oldest ever living inductee to ever get inducted. Can you imagine? Can you imagine for a second, 96 years old, you devote your entire life to this game and, you know, death's knocking on your door and you're getting inducted. Like, can you imagine just the stories? Like, it, it, when I get there, probably assuming I get there, he's the one person I'm definitely going to try to speak out for. <laughs> because just, well, referees, listen, if you know anything about the game, especially now, people hate officials so much. I've seen downright near like death threats against these people just because it's just they don't like a certain call. But for me, I'm the kind of person that wants to speak to that person. I want to speak to someone like Art McNally because of how influential he was on the entire profession of officiating. And I think it would be a huge honor just to speak with him. How many playoffs and Super Bowls did this guy uh, ref? There's got to be a – his name was around – seemed like it was around forever. Well, it wasn't really that he was just with someone that he – I think I think it was like – just in, not only including like football games, I think he officiated like at least 3,000 games in terms of like baseball and basketball and football. And if I recall, he was, he, he was only like, he was a field judge and referee for like, like 1959. I think it was like 1967, if I'm recalled. But then he was also the head of officiating for many, many years. I think it was like after 67, like, like 1968 until 1990. That's when I believe Jerry Seaman took over. But he's the reason why he had, you know, replay. And he was also responsible. Like, you know, all the grading systems that you see for every year. Like, a lot of people just think that, oh, they're just willy-nilly. No, they grade officials on how they do during those games with each game. And that is the evaluation and how they get better over time. But, you know, even as a member, he was a part of the NFL. He's still with, you know, the front office till 2008. And then he became an observer, and then he finally retired at the very ripe age of 86. So can you imagine, like, 86 years old and you retire finally? And the man's also a war hero, too. He was a part of the Marines. I would. That's just everything involved. That's, <laughs> that's why I would want to speak to him first, because it's just the stories you could tell that a lot of people don't really mention because they go to the player. But me, as a fan of the contributors, that's always going to be my most interesting story, how I would lead in. A lot of those guys, a lot of those guys were look, especially those World War II guys that came out of the war. Like, uh, you know, they talked about Landry. He flew thirty bombing missions over Europe. He lost a brother in World War II, and so when they came back, you know, they asked him. Like, I think it was Roy Firestone. I told you about this once before, Mark. And he says, you know, what was that like? And he goes, well, you know, the plane was going to go down and. I leaned over and I turned on the gas mixture and the engine started up again. He goes, and, and he was talking about it like it was nothing. Like, like he went up and scraped the windshield on his car in the winter. Like, you know, and so, I mean, you know, they got involved with football, like these guys. And, and I think Chuck Bednarik might've been kind of from that era. I can't yeah. remember. But a lot of those giants, a lot of the 59 giants, that, that team there, those, a lot of those guys were, you know, and just uh, was a different breed of guy back then. It really was. It was a different, you know, he, he mentioned uh, McNally being in, in, in the Marines. That's what triggered that off. But, you know, these, they were good. Art Donovan was like that. You know, he had I was a great to mention Art Donovan. His uh, cousin was, uh, I think she just died recently. She <laughs> was in her 90s. His cousin 
her name was Margaret. Uh, she was a parishioner at our, our church here. And she she told me stories about, uh, yeah, my cousin Artie. <laughs> I said, what was he like in real life? She said, oh, just the same way you see him on television. You always was telling I funny imagine. stories. <laughs> yep. It's a small world. Think of this woman being, you know, in your right. church. Yep. Artie Donovan's cousin. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I think of like the men that you know have played the game, and like Al Blozos, like he played for the Giants and you know died in France during World War II, and that's someone that the PFRA you know listed on their Hall of Very Good, just how dominant he was, even in his short time playing. And like <laughs> I think of other people that you know died during war, like you know Pat Tillman. Well, that was he was he was killed by his own men. But no, no, I think it was like. Bob Bob Kalsu, I believe it was. Yes. Like he Buffalo, Buffalo Bills, right? Buffalo Bills. Buffalo Bills. Yeah. Buffalo Bills. Um, but I, I always was fascinated by like, you know, those people that that are still alive that were veterans during like World War II, because like people always talk about, you know, History Channel will always mention, you know, World War II, you know, the Nazis, the Japanese, you know, everything else. But I also would love to speak to the people that also fought on those lines. I don't know exactly if where if he fought in Japan. I don't know if he fought in like you know you know Europe, but just speaking with him about it, you're ne- It's best that you do it now because chances are you're never going to have that opportunity again for the rest of your life. So it's best to try to find reach out to these people now, or their stories will be brought with them to their grave. And I don't want to see that happen. I want to. I want his story to be told to the whole world. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just- Always been a bit, my my grandfather um, fought in World War II. Uh, my other grandfather fought in the Korean War. So there is, you know, you know, when when both of them died, they did have the American flag draped over them. They asked that they would be part of, you know, a military, you know, cemetery, and they and they said no. And you know, my my mom's side, uh, he's buried in uh, he's buried in West Babylon, and for my dad's side, he's buried over in Farmingdale. Um, with both of the with um well my mom's mom so I but you know my my dad's mom you know she's buried alongside with him she died uh, like twenty years before he did and she was twelve years younger than him um that that those those stories always interest me because when you're always with those people that know they don't have much time left or someone that have just recently passed it's always best to honor them now and get their word on get the story out before it is too late for anyone and. Yeah, that's why I would love to speak with McNally. It's just everything involved. My dad was in World War II, just to, not to keep going on the subject, but when you said about, and you know something? He never talked about it. He did. We knew he was on a Navy ship. There was a picture of all the guys on the ship with this dog. That's what he always talked about, the dog. And then we found out later, after he passed away, we found all these photographs uh, with like the frilly edges on them, black and whites, and all these pictures from, and it's, they were all labeled on the back, Jap homes in Nagasaki. <laughs> so he was in the Pacific. That's exactly how it read too. There was, that's exactly what it said on the back of them. And, um, you know, he never, he never, we never sat at the dinner table. He never brought anything up. Never, not even one time. And, all the guys in our neighborhood were from that era. So there were other fathers that were from there. And this, you never really, 
There wasn't much talk about. There wasn't any words near the amount of stuff we talk about today, the veterans and the, all the stuff that these guys go through today with the PTSD and stuff. The guys just came back from the war. They got jobs. They all lived in kind of like the same neighborhoods, uh, you know, the jobs. And they all had like the same kind of houses, you know, pretty much moderately built houses. And it was just kind of strange, the whole thing that, you know, here was this guy. He's living in the house with you and just was really not much, you know, until you until he passed away. And we found all that stuff. But it was it was just kind of weird, a little weird. Why do you mean? think that was the case? The right why, why don't you think they didn't mention it? It was because, like, you know, it was a much more quaint culture. It wasn't really outward. Like, like I would definitely say, like, even in, like, today's time, like, we hear a lot about, you know, helping military, you know, families out because, you know, I, I do feel like sometimes that, Sometimes people don't really appreciate the ones that truly like, you know, do whatever they can to help others out. And, you know, I know this, you know, I was, I was a boy scout. I got, got my Eagles, got the rank of Eagle. That's the highest you can get. And, you know, we always had a big feature, like, you know, always giving back to, you know, the military men and women that put their lives forward and helping defend, you know, fight, fight others because they love the people back at home. But at the same time, I always do wonder if there's ever any PTSD from those environments, like shooting people down, like what that could have on someone's effect. And, you know, especially with like, you know, recently, cause like, you know, I dealt with, you know, Afghanistan, Iraq, you know, we're going stuff with Ukraine right now. And it's always scary. I always wonder about what happens. Like what's the emotional conflict that's going in to those, you know, soldiers and how is that going to be brought to their, you know, family members years from now. And, and it kind of bring back with McNally, like, I don't think he really ever talked about it too, but I think it would be a really interesting story. And like, it would be a nice feature. And, you know, I, I would be involved. I, I'd be interested. You'd be interested in like, maybe there's other people like him that probably don't talk, talk about the, his times during the war that, you know, say, you know, there's not much time left. It's, I think it's best that I finally give my story out. And unfortunately, my grand, neither grandparent ever really told me at their times in either of those wars because my dad's dad died in 2004. My mom's dad died in 2007. So never got that chance, but I, I want other people to have that chance to finally say it, say their piece. Yeah. I think that's probably one of the main reasons they don't like to talk about it is that there's some horrific memories. I mean, to go to go through a war and, you know, none of us knows what Thankfully, none of us ever had to do that. And uh, mm. I would imagine, you know, some horrific memories that they don't want to, they try to put it out of their mind. They don't want to talk about it because it's just horrible. Yeah, I, was, I can tell you firsthand as someone like, even in my generation, like if you do like one bad thing, like they'll make sure you never forget it for the rest of your life. If you do, you don't feel like you're a player, like they want to make sure that it, it almost feels like, they don't want you to feel happy about any of your times. If you even do one bad thing, they want that to haunt you forever. But I, I will say that I am happy to an extent that a lot of these people do not mention that because in this day and age, if they were to mention any bad things, the, the internet would not see them as friends. They would see them as pure foes and would just go after them. And I do not want that to be the case for any of these men that have risked their lives for that. I think that would be very disingenuous. Right. Um, and, I, and yeah, even though I'm part of this generation, I, 
I am sad that other people don't mention this stuff. I, I am sad that I feel like I have to mention, you know, someone like a Dillwig or this, because I think there's a whole lot of deepness and rich history that enough people don't really mention or really appreciate because a lot of people just think about the here and now and say, oh, everything's the worst thing ever. Not really. It just, it's just recency bias is clouding your mind, guys. Like, I, I've always... I never really felt truly embraced with even my own, you know, generation. I mean, I have very similar humor, but in terms of appreciation of like, you know, the greater good, I never truly liked it as much as even older generations. Cause I will say like, as much as you're big with, you know, this and that, it feels like they let their anger get the best of them. And it just clouds what they want to do. Um, and I think that's the case here. And I, I, I do, even though I'll be maybe small, I am happy that I am someone that does think different about it because I don't think these people would really be interested in that kind of a, kind of a story or that level of interest. Some probably would, but probably not many. So I'm, I'm willing to continue the legacy uh, for them. Right. Excellent. Well, maybe we should let Arnie go. Arnie, you still there? <laughs> Are you still there? He's listening to us. <laughs> okay. Just uh, just just listening, just uh, minding your own business and all. Get out to that Hall of Fame, there, Vinny. Out of, get, if you can get out during the week that they have the thing, get out there when they have the induction. Oh. It's, you'll, you know, you'll, you'll I'll, 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 I'll love it. Baseball, basketball, football, all of them. I I. I'd be the first one to go up over there, like without without a shadow of a doubt. Because I'm big with this Hall of Fame stuff, been with it for many years. Arnie would say I got into it in very very weird ways, and I ain't getting off this train. Oh hell no, bro! <laughs> I, 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 I'm 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 staying on for the whole ride. I'm not getting off. I'm not backing down. That's that's how I am. You know, we used to love going out there. Those were great memories. My my buddy Ray is still around. We talk about it, and we talk about you know how we corralled this guy and we corralled that guy, <laughs> and that night with the Raiders, and we got all those guys in the lobby. We had like thirty-five or thirty-six things on the ball, but and then we would go back. And it was, I think, the last. I went for Aikman and Rayfield Wright, Mark. I was there for uh, that. Rayfield Wright. And I brought a guy with me. He's a uh, Kevin Parker. He's a local guy. He's a big cowboy fan. He's an electrician. And so we drove out, and I'll tell you, we corralled a lot of other guys. You know who was it? Joe Avizano was uh-huh. there. We got him. He was the special yep. team coach with the Cowboys when those nine uh-huh. teams. We, we corralled uh, Jay Novacek nice. was there. We corralled him. And then we corralled, of all people, was this guy whose son made those figurines. Uh, I can't think of the name of them. Uh, they, they're, Vinny, you might know. They're players. They're very detailed. Oh, the, the, Mc- oh, you mean the McFarland figures? McFarland. We met his father. He was in a tent. And I saw the name on his shirt. This guy, who this guy's got. And he said, yeah, that's my son, he says. And so I told him I was going the, on a the, trip. The, the actual, you know, the creator of Spawn, you know, the legendary comic writer, you know, Todd McFarlane. You actually saw Todd McFarlane there. <laughs> his father. His father was selling the pro. He was like running this little thing with this, the tent. Oh, wow all the figurines out. And I told him I was going up to Canada. I do a lot of nature photography. Awesome. And he said, when you're in Calgary, my number is in the book. Look me up. He was a very nice guy. We talked to him for about half an hour. 
about the sun with the figurines and everything. Yeah, he's from yeah, Todd McFarlane. And, uh, he is he is from Calgary. Uh, he was a wonderful, you know, Spider Man. His most well known character, for in case you don't know, Venom. You know, you know what Venom is. You know, Tom Hardy. <laughs> you know, back in the day, you know, with Spider Man Three, Topher Grace, and you know the animated series where it looked like he had like red and blue accents, like you had to put on the three D glasses to see it. Uh, legendary <laughs> character, <laughs> legendary character. Mark, that's out of our yeah, world. That is- I'm a big, I'm a big, I'm a big <laughs> comics guy. My, my dad brought me. I like the old Avengers, Spider Man comics. I have all that stuff. All the Batman and Superman. Big with DC as well. Listen, that's in my blood. I'm gonna know that stuff off the top of my head. McFarlane as well. <laughs> you see, you're, you're running, you're running into these people you'd never run into. Like you know, we'd never meet that guy if we didn't go out there for that. But that was a good Hall of Fame trip. You know, and just off the top of my head, I was thinking, and, and Madden was there. Madden got inducted in that same year with Aikman. And he gave a pretty good speech, Madden, you know. And Al Davis uh, was there for Madden, and he was very, very frail. I remember that. That was like one of the things that stuck out in my head. Um, But, uh, you know, you run into these people. And Bud Grant called it the finest family gathering he ever had when he got inducted into the Hall of Fame. I'll, I'll never forget that. He said that, you know, but it's a good it's a good weekend. You go out there a, a day or two ahead so you could try to avoid the crowds and go into the Hall of Fame then so you could see it. So you because once the festivities start, you'll never be able to get into the building. So if it's on a Wednesday, it's a Friday or something, end up going out like on a Wednesday and just get out there a day or two early mm-hmm. and just and go through it then and then stay for the festivities. That's probably the best way to do it, mm-hmm. you know. To the building is not that big. I mean, there's three buildings, I think, now, but still, it's just a lot of backup when you're trying to get in, and there's just so many people there because it's grown and it's so big now, the stadium. Wow. But they usually don't arrive until, like, Friday night. That's when they have that uh, Hall of Fame jacket ceremony. And and we were there one year. I remember, I'll never forget it, and my buddies are big 49er fans, but I used to tell them stories and I said, you know, one of the biggest guys I've ever seen, uh, Merlin Olson was a very large man. One of the biggest guys I ever used to see was Ed Jones. This guy was a monster. And he Too was tall. Big, and he still is. Look, still play. And I said, you guys, if you saw him in real life, you would see. We're sitting there in front. Of, we're waiting for some of the guys to come out of the, the jacket thing. And this guy who we, we don't even know, he's walking down and he says, I just saw the biggest guy I ever saw. His name is Ed Jones. And I looked over at my two buddies, and they started laughing because they used to hear me talk about it all the time. And I said, I don't know what it was, but he had a – you know, he wasn't just this large. He had a waist, not like these guys today. He had a waist, and he came up, and he was just – you know, at six foot nine, he was just a very large guy, probably six foot nine. And when I was seeing him, it was a little after he got done playing football, he had put on a little weight. So I bet you he was 285 pounds. That is a very big I remember seeing know? this picture of him with these, with these, you know, these busty women, and like they were all like at the level of his, like his, his, like his, like chest almost, and he just towered over them, like, man, is, is he is he a lucky guy or what? <laughs> I was thinking of that. Image. He's a guy that he's a guy you could make a claim for the Hall of Fame. He wasn't spectacular. He didn't have a lot of Pro Bowl years. But he was very, he batted down more passes, I bet you, than anybody that ever played the game if they took if they kept stats on that. And he was very, very, very good against the run. 
Probably one of the, in fact, Dan Deardorff called him the best player he ever played. Wow. That, 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 that's high, that, that's high praise. Like I, I, over around here, over around here, these parts of Long Island, there is someone that I hear <laughs> more than anyone else, and I'm including Jets and Giants included. Who do you think I'm seeing? Joe Klecko. Oh, hell yeah, Joe Klecko. You, you know I'm going to bring him up. <laughs> Joe Klecko, who, who you definitely make oh. a case for. The guy was an all-pro, I think, in three different positions. John Hanna said the, John, that John Hanna said the two hardest guys he had to go against was Howie Long and Joe Klecko. And, like, I, I think um, Joe DeLamalaire even said that he was the toughest guy he ever faced against. Like, you have all these people. I think, you know um, – Gary Myers, sorry, there's a flyer over there. Uh, Gary Myers would always be huge with you know Joe Klecko. Like my friends, like my, my friend Andrew, he's he said like you know my dad all we talked about is Joe Klecko all the time. Like my my friend my friend Mike's his mom's a huge Jets fan. All he says is Joe Klecko, Joe Klecko. And I'm watching like old Adult Swim shows and like you know they would have like a just a random jersey of Joe Klecko on the wall. Like yeah, <laughs> he's he's huge. There was a. There was a show called the uh, – I forgot the name of it, but they were guys that were retired from football, and they were boxing. You know what I'm talking I about, I think Mark? I remember. I, I don't remember watching. Anyway, towards the end, it's got to be – the guys got narrowed down as they were winning and losing, obviously. And one of the last fights was Randy White against Joe Klecko, and Randy White knocked him wow. out. And uh, it was it – was, I think it was strongman competition – Lawrence Taylor, who was absolutely out of his mind, he was announcing it. He must have been on some. He was like flying on this thing. And he was tremendous. <laughs> he was doing some of the announcing. But I, that was on. You could find that on YouTube somewhere, that strongman show that was on. It was on for a couple of years. Gary Reasons was on it. And a couple of other giant players were there. I think Otis Anderson was there. Uh, there was I, I know Gary Reasons for a fact. There was a couple other guys. but. There was a lot of guys involved in it. It was kind of a crazy thing. They boxed for three rounds. It was just wacky. But it was I, when he said Joe Klecko, and I mentioned him, but he was a Joe Klecko. Look, that guy should have probably been in 15 yeah, years definitely. ago. And, and I'm not even. He had, didn't he have a, That's what I'm talking about. Didn't he have a serious uh, knee injury at one point that mm-hmm. kind of slowed him? I think, I, I think that's when he got traded to the Colts. Yeah, I think it was around that time. But when when it comes to White and Clack, I usually don't really think of the boxing time. I usually think of their Miller Lite commercial they had back yeah. in the days. Fish, That's my most know of them yeah, together. Most of that Miller Lite commercial. When they were in the fish. If you look him up, I think he was all pro at nose tackle, defensive end, and defensive You are correct. Tackle. I think. You, you, I'm not sure. I think Klecko's the only correct. player. I don't need to look that, that up at all. You are correct. He is the only guy. He was all pro. Defensive end, he led the league in sacks, which is insane. Led led the lead, led the best nose tackle in the game, best defensive like three distinct positions on the line, and he was the best at each one. It's 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 like yeah, I don't know how this is. What I'm talking about it's past some of the guys by that's a sin. That's kind of what yeah, I, mean I agree. About, you know, when I'm talking about um, that. my my. my also with 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 like with, with Gasano, he was very much of a one trick. Well, he was like he, the the way that one of my friends described it is like you know Gasano was like the best you know pass of, of his at least of his era. But whereas Gasano was someone you'd throw the beer at, Klecko was the one you'd have the beer with. And Klecko, unlike Gasano, was way more versatile. 
Not saying that Gastineau wasn't good at what he did. No, absolutely. He was absolutely fantastic. But Klecko was truly the man that was able to do well at everything and still put in just as much effort, if not more, at every single position. That's that's why I think Klecko should be in the Hall of Fame. Not just as someone who's from New York, not just someone who has heard many Jets fans over the years say they want Joe Klecko, but just because of just the versatility alone. I, I always like I always like people, no matter what it is, that are good at one thing just as good as the next. Now, granted, if they're just all bad at it, that's one thing. But if they're all really good, great at it, that's even better. That makes it easier for me to choose that person. And I see for myself, too, just, he was, I'm good at this, this, this. He was he was tremendous, Klecko. Tremendous. You know? And I'll tell you, speaking of, of you said uh, you're a New York guy, one of the best Hall of Fame speeches, I think, was Curtis Martin's speech. Uh, he gave a great speech, Curtis Martin. One of the worst I've ever heard, probably, of, of coming of all guys to prepare a terrible speech. As a man who was probably the, one of the most prepared players that ever played, Jerry Rice gave one of the worst Hall of Fame speeches I've ever heard. Look it up. It's horrible. <laughs> I don't know what the I don't know what he was thinking, but it was just terrible. Ugh. Well, it was a, just a very choppy speech. It was, but Curtis Martin's was very, very good. Mm-hmm. Very when good. I think of like the best, like fortunately, like for a lot of these guys, that their their Hall of Fame speech. That's not just depending on whether or not you're going to make the Hall of Fame or not. Like, that's going to be – that's more so dependent – like the reward of making the Hall of Fame is to say this speech, which granted has been cut down to time over. Like I know Brett Favre's speech and Ray Lewis's speech were gone for very long, but other people just turn away. And I'm like – I just stare right directly at it because I'm just so engaged with a lot of those very long, drawn-out speeches. Like those bore others, I'm always much more engaged with those. And like other people might not be, I'm just different. I, I'm I, I like long drawn out speeches. I I can just sit there for just you know minutes, just minutes, just gasping and listen to what they have to say, their stories, because everyone's story is unique. And the way I see it here is like even with the Hall of Fame, some of the players, coaches, whoever, I'll be able to just say, oh, this person was in there for this one. No, no. I look at every single person individually because everyone has their own story and everyone played slightly different and everyone got to where they are slightly different and everyone created or contributed to something slightly different than another. Therefore, with every single individual person having their own unique story, that should also be the case with Hall of Fame, Hall of Famers. That's how I look at it. So we hope you enjoyed this podcast. Thank you for listening. Along with Vinny, Dave, and myself, we thank you, and God bless. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, Here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Hello, football friends. This is Darren Hayes of the Pigskin Dispatch Podcast, and I'd like to invite you to the portal of positive football history, Pigskin Dispatch and pigskindispatch.com. We talk about everything that centers around the game of American football, expert discussions, the origins of the games, the great players, teams, and coaches, and more, and some great guests and insights from experts. We have new episodes three to four times a week, and you can find us on sportshistorynetwork.com, pigskindispatch.com, or your favorite podcast provider. How about that? 
I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.